I ran across an article not too long ago, but uh, before I say more, before I start, there are, as we talk about selfish being normal, there are some people who struggle with maybe codependency, I'm one of them, or seeking the approval of people who really do need to focus some on caring for your own needs, and you need to resist the urge of constantly being concerned about the needs of everyone else to your own detriment. But still, I found this article really interesting and appropriate. This article is from December 30th, 2018, and it was simply titled, Why Selfish People Are Happier and Healthier. Why Selfish People Are Happier and Healthier. I won't share all of it, but you need to hear some of it. It says, selfish people treat others badly, don't have any real friends, and are incapable of love, right? Wrong. We've been programmed to feel like putting our own needs first is reprehensible, shameful, wicked. As a result, we often default to putting the wants and needs of others before our own to the detriment of our well-being. In the long run, prioritizing self-care is necessary in order to pursue our purpose and be generous to others. Here are six things to remember next time you find yourself feeling guilty about doing what you need to do. Here's the six things. Ready? Selfishness <clears throat> improves your most important relationship. Being selfish is about connecting with, pleasing, entertaining, and loving yourself. When you do this, you prove to yourself that you deserve to be treated well. Selfishness creates an expectation of happiness. Trying to please others is a recipe for frustration, stress, and disappointment. That's true, by the way. But everyone has a different opinion about what you should do and how you should behave. So it's fundamentally impossible to make everyone happy. On top of that, constantly putting others before yourself keeps you from living the life you desire. The next one, selfishness puts you in the habit of listening to your inner voice. When you have only one person to please, decision-making becomes infinitely easier. When you practice making choices based on your desires, you become much more in tune with your internal compass. It, uh, it's a self-sustaining cycle. Number four, it frees your loved ones to care for themselves rather than you. Taking responsibility for your own well-being takes the weight off of the shoulders of those who love you. Next, selfishness better equips you to be of service. We can't give what we don't have. How can we help anyone else find peace of mind if we don't have it? And here's the one that is really interesting to me. Selfishness allows you to stop blaming others for your unhappiness. So let me get this straight. Selfishness will help you get to the place where you can blame yourself for your unhappiness. And that's why selfishness makes you happier and healthier. Selfish people are happier and healthier because they can blame themselves for their own unhappiness. Now again, please understand, there is a difference between taking time for yourself and caring for yourself and being a selfish person. Here's one of the ironies. The problem is many giving people feel selfish if they take any time to care for themselves. 
While selfish people feel giving if they do a momentary act of kindness once a month for someone else. And what's normal today has gone far beyond self-care to selfishness. So much of what we do and see is just selfishness and it, it just seems so normal. But we, remember, we've been saying normal is broken. Normal is broken. We have said, if you want what normal people have, do what normal people do. But if you want what few people have, do what few people do. And as we finish this series and look at how God calls us to be weird for him, we find that rejecting selfishness is something that Jesus clearly wants us to do. Look at this passage from Philippians. When you do things, do not let selfishness or pride be your guide. Instead, be humble and give more honor to others than to yourselves. Selfishness may, may be normal, but Jesus calls us to be weird. In fact, he calls us to the exact opposite of selfishness. The clear teaching of scripture is I need to honor and serve others as more important than myself. I need to consider others' needs as more important than my own. So today, as we try to do that, let's uh, look at three steps out of selfishness. Three steps out of selfishness. If we're going to step out of selfishness and be weird for Jesus, we will need to take the first step, which is to embrace self-denial. Embrace self-denial. If you're going to break out of normal, if you're going to become different and weird in uh, the way God deny, uh, desires, you've got to embrace self-denial instead of self-fulfillment. Look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple or follower must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Pastor John MacArthur said, the true gospel is a call to self-denial. It is not a call to self-fulfillment. But there's nothing normal about denying yourself. I mean, who wants that? I mean, does anyone ever walk into a bookstore and ask for the self-denial section or search the web for self-denial workshops and self-denial retreats? It's normal today for people to be self-centered, self-absorbed, self-indulgent, self-serving, self-satisfied, and to view themselves as completely self-sufficient. Normal is anything but self-denial. Anything but self-denial. But to be weird for Jesus, to step out of selfishness, I have to embrace self-denial. And did you notice what Jesus didn't say in that verse? He didn't say, whoever wants to be my follower or disciple must deny themselves nice things or deny themselves meat on Friday, or deny themselves something during Lent. Instead of denying ourselves some item, he says we just deny ourselves. We just deny ourselves. What he says is so much harder when you think about it. I just deny myself. I, I deny me. I deny 
me. Let that sink in for a minute. Think about the last time you were asked for a favor and you said no. I mean, what were your reasons? You were too tired and needed to sleep or you needed some quiet time or alone or it would just be too cold or it was too far to drive. Denying myself means that I would say yes to more favors, to opportunities to help, to opportunities to serve because embracing self-denial means that I would give up what I want and what I think I need to help someone else. I would deny myself. Now, think about the last argument you had with someone close to you. How would embracing self-denial have changed that? I mean, what did Jesus say at the end of that verse? Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will save it. So if we are supposed to lose our life while denying ourselves for Jesus, would it be logical to think that we might need to lose an argument for the sake of Jesus? That that would be part of self-denial, giving up my opinion or at least my right to insist on it might be a way to deny myself. Embracing self-denial changes the conversation in so many areas of our life. When we feel like our rights have been trampled on, when we're making decisions about volunteering to serve, when we're deciding how much to give, when uh, we're deciding who to forgive, following Jesus by doing what few people do and denying ourselves will radically change the conversation and our decision making. So the first step is to embrace self-denial. And I wanna pause right here for a minute. Uh, Pastor Dale, you're there at the back of the room. Would you come up here? I, I want you to know, I just think Pastor Dale is awesome. Don't you? I mean, he's doing such a good job. So I want him to have a gift and So, Dale, I brought you this really awesome bright red hand truck. It looks like one I have. Really? Mm -hmm. I just wanted to give that to you as a gift because you're awesome. (laughs) So let's give Dale a hand with his hand truck. Okay, that's a great thing. Let's get back to the message. After we embrace self-denial, we need to take step two which is to commit to bringing it back. To commit to bringing it back. And I guess as we start here, we should point out that there is a difference between bringing something back and giving something. There's a difference between bringing something back and giving something. Did you notice that Dale didn't seem very thrilled with my gift of a hand truck for him? Didn't seem very appreciative, you know why? Well, about three years ago, Dale loaned me that hand truck. It's been in my garage and my basement for three years, waiting for me to bring it back. And Dale's lack of appreciation communicated the real truth that we need to learn. I can't give something to someone that already belongs to them. I can't give something to someone when it already belongs to them. I didn't give Dale that hand truck. I I just, I brought it back. I brought it back to him. I returned what was already his. Now, having said that, do you know that when the Bible talks about tithing, about the 10% 
of our resources that Scripture teaches belongs to God. Do you know the Bible, what it says over and over again? It says, bring the tithe. Bring the first fruits. The people brought their tithe to the Lord's house. The Bible doesn't encourage us to give 10% to God because 10% already belongs to Him. And when we talk about tithing, by the way, the word tithing means one-tenth. And it tells us not to give it, but to bring it. The consistent teaching of Scripture is the first 10% of what I have belongs to God. And I can't give back to God something that is already His. And even though we're just bringing back what's already His, what belongs to God in the first place, when we do bring our tithe, our 10% to God, He promises to bless us. Look at this verse from uh, Malachi chapter 3. It says this, I am the Lord all-powerful and I challenge you to put me to the test. Bring the entire 10% into the storehouse so there will be food in my house. Then I will open the windows of heaven and flood you with blessing after blessing. When we bring the entire 10%, God promises he will open the windows of blessing and uh, the windows of heaven and pour out blessing. He'll flood us with blessing after blessing. And if you haven't been feeling blessed by God lately, maybe you need to consider taking the step of committing to bringing back. Now, when we start talking about the 10% that the Bible teaches is the starting place for followers of Jesus, I'm always asked some questions, sometimes with a little attitude. So let me share with you a couple of questions I'm often asked. The first one is this, isn't a tithe an Old Testament thing? Isn't it an Old Testament thing? Those that ask this question are usually thinking the tithe was part of the Old Testament law and we're now under grace, not under law, and so it's legalistic to teach people to bring the tithe. Well, I would say a couple of things here. A careful study of scripture would say that giving 10% began before the Old Testament law was established. It continued as a common practice of God's people. The second thing that I would do is point out to you a few uh, that uh, just a few verses before the one we read in uh, Malachi chapter 3 about bringing the entire 10%. Just before that, here's what we would read. I am the Lord and I do not change. I am the Lord and I do not change. And of course, this is a consistent teaching of Scripture because in Hebrews, this concept is repeating. It says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if you want to say that that was Old Testament and we don't have to do it now, I would simply ask you, when do you think God changed? At what point do you think God changed? And also, if the Old Testament law is something that we don't need to do today, that we don't need to pay attention to. Can we lie and steal and murder? Because those things are part of the Old Testament law too. Also saying the Old that it's an Old Testament thing overlooks the fact that Jesus told us to do it. In Matthew 23, verse 23, Jesus said that we should give our 10% while also showing justice and mercy and faithfulness and so it's 
a consistent teaching of Scripture, not just an Old Testament thing. Another question I'm often asked is, where do I bring my 10%? Eight times in the Bible, it clearly tells us to bring our tithe uh, to God's house. That was the temple in the Old Testament. Today, that is our church. The full 10% that belongs to God needs to be brought to your church. Now, some people are trying to play games with this a little bit. They think, you know, well, I feel like my gifts have more influence and they affect more people if they go to this organization that I support that feeds hungry kids or takes care of uh, people uh, and rescues them from sex slavery. And I would say two things on that. Number one, if you're a part of this church, you're already giving to those two things I just mentioned. Feeding hungry children and rescuing people from sex slavery is a part of what we do with the gifts that you give us. But the other thing that I would say is this. When you decide that you can take part of your 10% and give it somewhere else, you are moving from bringing your tithes to giving your money. And giving is something that makes us feel good. It's something that we control. God doesn't ask us to give 10% so that we can feel good, so that we can make a difference and control it. He says, bring it back so that there will be resources in my house for what I want to do. Now, there is a way to give to the organizations you love to give to, and we don't want you to stop doing that, but that comes in step three. But the clear teaching of scripture is we bring the tithe, the first 10%, to our church. That's God's plan. That's God's intention. Now, one very practical question that I get asked, usually by non-math people, is how do I figure what my tithe, my 10% should be? Here's a simple way to figure it, and it will get you very close, actually. It'll get you a little over your 10%. 10% would basically be $2 per week in the offering for every $1,000 a year that you make. $2 in the offering for every $1,000 a year you make. So if you make $40,000 a year, a tithe would be about $80 per week to the church. And if your combined household income is $100,000 per year, uh, you would bring back $200 per week to the church. Now, some of you are thinking, I just don't think I could really do that. I don't think that I can. I really can't afford it. And this is where the trust that we talked about last week comes into play. And look at that verse that we read again. It says, I am the Lord all-powerful, and I challenge you to put me to the test. Bring the entire 10% into the storehouse so there will be food in my house. Then I will open the windows of heaven and flood you with blessing after blessing. Here's the deal. Maybe you can't afford to do it because you aren't doing it. Maybe you can't afford to do it because you aren't doing it. That sounds weird, but God promises to flood you with blessing after blessing after you obey him by bringing the whole 10%. So maybe you need to take the step of bringing it back to God so God can flood you with blessings. There is only one place in the Bible where God invites you to put him to the test, and that's this. So why don't you try it? Why don't you put God to the test? Why not commit yourself 
to bringing back to God the whole 10% and commit yourself to doing it every time you get paid for the next six months. And at the end of six months, ask yourself, am I better off? Not just in your finances, but in your relationships, your relationship with God, your relationship with your family, in your overall situation. I dare you to put God to the test and to commit yourself to bringing back rather than to giving. By the way, we don't have time to talk about this much, but here's an interesting com uh, concept. If we're to bring back 10% of our resources, what would happen if we tithed our time to Jesus? If we gave 10% of our time? I mean, what if we spent 16.8 hours per week serving Jesus? How would our world be different? How would this community be different? How would our church be different and be blessed and changed? So step one is to embrace self-denial. Step two is to commit to bringing it back. Step three is a fun step for those who get there. In step three, we experience above and beyond. We experience above and beyond. Now, some would think that if they achieve step one and step two, that they would be doing well and they would be following Jesus and living for Jesus. But there's an interesting passage in Luke chapter 17. And in a day when it's normal for everyone to get participation trophies, this is going to sound really weird, but look at what Jesus said in this passage. Suppose one of you has a servant who has been plowing the ground or caring for the sheep, and when the servant comes in from working in the field, would you say, come in and sit down to eat? No, you would say to him, prepare something for me to eat, then get yourself ready and serve me. After I finish eating and drinking, you can eat. The servant does not get any special thanks for doing what his master commanded. It is the same with you. When you have done everything you are told to do, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done the work we should do. This is one of the weirdest passages from the mouth of Jesus. But this is what Jesus taught. It says, when we do what we should do, when we bring back the 10%, when we spend some time serving in the church, using our gifts and talents like the Bible teaches, we should do uh, these things as followers of Jesus. We've obeyed him in this area. What should our attitude be when we've done that? Look again at the end of the verse. When we have done everything that we were told to do, we should say... We're just unworthy servants. We've only done what we're supposed to do. Now, don't get me wrong. There's tremendous blessing in obeying Jesus. There's tremendous blessing in serving him. There's tremendous blessing that God promises to those who bring back the 10%. And if you're doing that, I'm so excited to see how God is blessing you. And uh, as you serve and as you honor Jesus with your time and money, that's great. But I also think Jesus wants you and I to experience above and beyond he wants you to experience the joy of above and beyond, to feel the blessings of doing more than the minimum, more than the expected. And giving more than 10% initiates something altogether different in our lives. It really does. It is when we go from being obedient to being generous. Generosity begins when we go 
above and beyond. It's when we go from bringing back to really giving by our choice and out of praise to God and the blessings are really different too. This is where we get to decide to give an offering to organizations or to sponsor a child or to help a a missionary. This is where we can see God do even more through our church as we give more to him. And when I give offerings in addition to the 10% uh, I bring back to God, then I think that that extra triggers something supernatural in us. I think it triggers something supernatural. It is praise that is above and beyond obedience to God. It's doing more than is expected. And the blessings just seem to get bigger and better at that point. When you give above and beyond to impact, you will seem to notice how each and every person who's new is special you'll notice them and you'll pray for them you'll notice each baptism and it will mean even more and if you give above and beyond to a missionary you will find yourself overwhelmed with what's happening to them and in that area of the world as a church we decided some time ago to go above and beyond uh, and It was part of our unstoppable initiative and we decided not just to build this building, not just to uh, renovate this building and help ourselves, but uh, we decided to do a special project. We set aside some funds and then uh, many gave generously to help us finish the project. We used $87,000 of those gifts to fund the construction of a new church in Brazil that will also be a child development center for some children in Brazil. And some of Uh, the children that we sponsored uh, will be a part of that. I received a report recently. Would you like to see some of the pictures of what we've been building? This is, um, I'm going to read the captions they sent. This is an external view of the land with the wall already ready. And here's a side view of the building. And then go to the next one. This is an external view of the classrooms. Uh, There's three classrooms and they're being built now. And this is preparing the structure for the placement of the roof. And uh, that is one of the next steps. And then this is the entrance, the entrance to the courtyard, the entrance to the worship area. And they are really excited about what's going on. They had a Christmas gathering in this facility at Christmas time. But let me read to you a little bit of the note that the pastor sent with these pictures We thank God for the life of each donor. We pray that he will surprise everyone in their needs. Investing in the work of God is being certain that the owner of the work will reward us. We cannot change a community that has been uh, the scene of so many murders of teenagers and young people, but we can strive to participate in a new chapter of this story that will have a happy ending, happy because Jesus is being preached in full, This is a fact and it is evident. Each donor and partner are integral parts of what God is doing here. If you gave to Unstoppable or you gave a gift to our Brazil project, you are an integral part of what God is doing there. And that is part of the joy of going above and beyond. It's part of the joy of going above and beyond. Um, It was generosity. And when we take a group of people there later this year or maybe early next year, we will see firsthand the joy of giving above and beyond.
And I want you to experience that in your personal life too. Look at the promise of the verse from Proverbs 11. Some people give much, but get back even more. Others don't give what they should and they end up poor. Whoever gives to others will get richer. Those who help others will themselves be helped. When we give above and beyond what is expected, we will get back even more than what we give. Not always in financial blessings, but we will receive more. And when we give to help others in need, uh, we ourselves will be helped. That's the promise of Scripture. And again, if you're bringing back 10%, you aren't doing anything wrong. You're trusting God. You're obeying Him, and that's great. But another step, another, the third step out of selfishness says, I'm going to go above and beyond. That might be just an extra dollar every week. Or it might be significantly more, but I, I encourage you to take the step and experience above and beyond. Honestly, once you experience it, you're going to become addicted to it. You're going to become addicted to it because the joy that you feel and the blessings you receive are incredible. So today, we're going to end our weird series by doing something weird. Each year, we talk about certain topics uh, uh, throughout the year uh, based on the needs of our people. We talk every year about ways to get closer to Jesus. We talk every year about marriage and family. We talk every year about some book of the Bible or some significant person in the Bible. And every year, we talk a little bit about money. Because money is one of those things that gets its grip on us. And we're willing to follow Jesus in so many areas, but that area still holds on to us. And some think that we talk about money so that we can fund our church for another year. But the truth is, we talk about money to move you forward in your faith. The thing that may be holding you back in your faith is your attitude about money. Sure, the church has financial needs. That will always be the case. But here's the bigger truth. We need to take these steps because we might be being held back if we haven't. As I said last week, it's not that God is in heaven waiting for you to give. God is in heaven waiting for you to trust him. He's waiting for you to trust him enough to do it his way. And finances is a big way where we tend to fail to trust God. So today is the day that you can decide to trust him. If you want what few people have, you got to do what few people do. So decide to follow God completely and make it an act of worship. In the back of the, car, uh, the chairs in front of you, there are some pink commitment cards. Please take it out. I'm going to ask you to make your decision in a very tangible way today. The question is, are you going to get weird and trust Jesus, or are you going to keep trying it the normal way? Okay? I'm asking you to fill the card out. Take it out and decide what box you need to mark. Are you committing to giving 10% for the first time? That's the first circle. If you have been giving 10% and you're going to move above and beyond, even if it's just a dollar, that's the second circle. If you're already giving beyond 10% and you're going to keep doing that, that would be marking the third circle. I'm just suggesting that whatever you do today, you take a step of trust, a, a step that says, God, I am moving beyond normal, beyond selfishness to follow you fully. 
Now, here's what I want you to do, and I know this is weird. You got that card? I want you to mark a box right now, right now, and then I want you to sign the card. I want you to sign it. You know why? We sign all the important things in life. We signed our marriage license. We sign our baby's birth certificates. We sign uh, college applications and car loans and dozens of times when we buy a house. And I think the commitment to move beyond normal and follow God completely is just that important. So sign the card. And next, print your name on the card in a way that we can read it. And if you aren't sure that we have your address, would you write the address somewhere on the card? Because we're going to mail that card back to you so that you can place it in your Bible. Here's my card from last year. Still in my Bible to remind me of the commitment that uh, we uh, make. And then lastly, today is February 13th in the year 2020, so put that date on it. And if you're making a decision, especially a first-time decision, uh, to trust God in this way today, you'll want to remember this date because this will be a defining moment in your life and in your relationship with Jesus. In a few minutes, we're going to pass the offering bags again, and we're going to collect those cards. And while you finish filling them out, I want to go back to something that I said last week. I said, the real solution to worry is radical trust in God. That's the real solution to worry. And if you're sitting there and you're worried about taking this step and you just don't know how you can do it, you need to be reminded that God can be trusted. He can be trusted to care about you. He can be trusted to provide for you. And look again at the verses that we looked at last week from Proverbs chapter 3. It says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing in your body and strength for your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce, then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. If you will trust God today and not depend on your own understanding, if you will honor him with your wealth, with the first and best part of what he's given to you, he will provide what you need and more. He will Open the windows of heaven and let blessings overflow into your life and flood your life. Let's make these commitments today. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray for us. And then as we pass the bags, we'll receive the commitment cards and we'll be singing while we do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, there are some people who have just allowed defensiveness to creep in and to make them think that, this is about what we want rather than about what you want, about trusting you. And so, Father, would you just give us the courage to trust you by doing things your way? Would you help us, Father, to move beyond normal in this area too? Will you give us the courage to put you to the test 
knowing, Father, that you love us, that you are always faithful to us, Father, knowing that you have been patient with us and forgiving towards us. And Father, we're so thankful that you always give to us a second chance. Now, Father, would you help us? Help us just to trust you so that we can follow you fully. In Jesus' name, amen.